All right, so our last little section this evening, Israel's dispersion and conversion. So we saw their covenant that they are promised a land, that they are also promised that they will be unfaithful to this covenant and be dispersed from this land, but on an equal um, level, they will be brought back to it. So now we're going to take a quick uh, glimpse at the fulfillment of this. Now, this uh, at, the, at the very end, I'll show you right where they are in that timeline, but uh, they haven't quite completed it all the way yet. So we can only look at some of these prophetically, but others we see was given prophetically and then fulfilled in history. So let's start in Ezekiel 16. We're going to look at a few chapters of Ezekiel very quickly. Um, a couple chapters in Isaiah as well. So in Ezekiel 16, God gives his assessment of Israel from their birth um, all the way up to the current day. And he says, as for your birth, on that day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in clothes. Your eye looked with pity, no eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. So Israel was not in a privileged position at its birth. But when I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous like plants of the field. Then you grew up, became tall, and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. Now, this passage, Ezekiel 16, shows, uh, shows how Israel is depicted as the wife of Jehovah. Just like the church is the bride of Christ, Israel is married to God. But Israel plays the harlot again and again. And that is what God is uh, punishing. He says, but you trusted in your beauty and you played the harlot because of your fame. And you poured out your harlotries on every passerby who might be willing. You took some of your clothes, made for yourself high places of various colors and played the harlot on them, which should never come about nor happen. So he says, despite the fact that I pulled you out of obscurity, that I blessed you, you used those blessings to cheat on me. You adulterous wife, the Lord says, who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all harlots, but you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction for your harlotries. Thus, you are different from those women in your harlotries in that no one plays the harlot as you do because you give money and no money is given to you. Thus, you are different. So God is 
basically saying your neck is bent towards Harlow Tree. You do nothing but seek out ways to be unfaithful. But again, the promise that they will be restored to their land. Nevertheless, I will restore their captivity. The captivity of Sodom and her daughters, the captivity of Samaria and her daughters, and along with them, your own captivity, in order that you may bear your humiliation and feel ashamed for all that you have done when you became a consolation to them. And again, he says, nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both your older and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, not because of, uh, but not because of your covenant. Thus, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So here God is talking about the fulfillment of the land covenant, the promise of land seed and blessing that he gave them uh, in their infancy. He's talking about the fulfillment of the new covenant as well. And he is saying that the physical and spiritual salvation of, uh, of Israel will come to the remnant that is faithful to him. Now we're jumping ahead a bit to Ezekiel 20, where we see that they will be gathered, but they will be gathered through wrath and for wrath at first. So he says, as I live, declares the Lord God, Surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out in the past tense, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. Now he repeats that twice. This wrath poured out shows that wrath will be poured out on Israel and then the Lord will regather them, but he's going to regather them for a different uh, round of wrath. Now, Arnold Fruchtenbaum uh, has, uh, has identified this wrath poured out as most likely the Holocaust, where through wrath, they would, what was that? What was that? It's like a uh, Arnold Fruchtenbaum has uh, identified this wrath poured out as most likely indicating the Holocaust, where after the Holocaust, they were restored to their land uh, for the first time from all corners of the earth, um, but they were not restored into faith, but they were restored simply to the land. And this is important because they will face yet another judgment in their land, but they must be in their land in order to face that judgment. So something needed to get them back into the land. Uh, so in Ezekiel 20, he continues, I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. So God used the Holocaust. He did not incite the Holocaust, but God used the Holocaust to bring them back to their land so that he could... Uh, enter into judgment with them face to face. I don't know where my cookie. Oh, here. Uh, oh, do you drive a stick? Okay. Uh, 
says, I will make you pass under the rod. That is a symbol of judgment. And I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Now, this covenant, remember, includes blessing and cursing, cursing for disobedience. So he is going to bring them into the bond of this covenant. They will undergo that cursing, but they will be brought into blessing through it. Um, and for the rest of these passages in Ezekiel, he's going to talk about this as a refinement process, like metal is refined. He says, I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. Remember, we're looking at this like a filter. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, and they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus, you will know that I am the Lord. And then in Ezekiel 22, uh, we're looking now specifically at the city of Jerusalem, because the city of Jerusalem is ultimately where they are going to undergo that final refinement. It's, uh, it's going to be the city of Jerusalem where Israel is surrounded on all sides by the armies of the Antichrist, where they had entered into a covenant with the Antichrist, that's Daniel 9, 27. He turns on that covenant because he is a covenant breaker, but God is not. And Israel, through the fire, will call on the Lord to save them, and he will. But they will be gathered first in Jerusalem, and in order to be gathered in Jerusalem, they have to be in their land, not in faith, in order to come to faith while in their land. So, son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are the dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because all of you have become dross, therefore, behold, I am going to gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As they gather silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into the furnace to blow fire on it in order to melt it, so I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath, and I will lay you there and melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with fire from of my mouth, and you will be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in the furnace, so, as, so you will be melted in the midst of it. And you will know that I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath on you. <clears throat> so Jerusalem being the final point of this uh, purging process. We see in Zechariah 13. Now we're looking forward into the tribulation period here. Uh, and that's, that's kind of why we're doing these covenant studies, because all these covenants really come to a head in Revelation. Um, if you don't understand the promises that God has made to Israel and the judgment that they have to go through in order to be purified for their blessing, uh, Revelation doesn't make as much sense. So here in Zechariah 13, we see even, uh, even the percentages of them that will enter um, into the blessing through this um, purging process. It says, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. So that is their dispersion. And I will turn my hand against the little ones. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. 
So this looks forward towards their final or their dispersion, their regathering, and then after they have regathered into the land, they're sifting through furnace or through the furnace at Jerusalem. In Malachi 3, he says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. All right, I think we're coming close. Yeah, this is almost the end. Um, Looking forward to Isaiah 11. Um, in Isaiah 11, 11 through 12, 6, we see a complete picture of their restoration. He says, then it will happen on that day, the Lord again will recover the second time with his hand, the remnant of his people who will remain. So if there is a second time, how many times come before that? Just one. So they will be regathered once. And then the second time is the final regathering. That first regathering is a regathering in disbelief. And the second time is a regathering in belief. One is prior to the tribulation period and the other comes through the tribulation period. They will come from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea, not from Babylon. This is not their return from Babylon. And he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Then the jealousy of Ephraim will depart. Now, when we looked at uh, Revelation, one of the big questions in chapter seven is, why is Ephraim and why is Dan not part of the list of 12 nations or the 12 tribes um, that are sealed and sent out on a missionary um, journey in the tribulation period. And that was because they brought in the idolatry to the land. They were the ones who brought it brought upon Israel uh, initially this dispersion. But God is saying even Ephraim will be restored. So then the jealousy of Ephraim will depart and those who harass Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah and Judah will not harass Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines on the west. Together they will plunder the sons of the east. They will possess Edom and Moab, and the sons of Ammon will be subject to them. Now these are the lands that surround Israel that were perennial enemies of Israel. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and he will wave his hand over the river with his scorching wind. And he will strike it into seven streams and make men walk over dry shod. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant of his people who will be left, just as there was for Israel in the day that they came up out of the land of Egypt. So God is constantly using Egypt and their exodus from Egypt to indicate the way that they will return to their land during this regathering. We have never seen that before. This has not happened yet. 
And when it happens, it will be the final restoration of Israel, and Jesus Christ himself in person will initiate it. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the spring of salvation. And in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the people. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So that is what they will say when they have returned to their land in faith through the fire of the tribulation. And the Lord is sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. So here's the program of Israel's land covenant. We see it in seven different parts here. First is the unconditional promise given to Abraham back in Genesis 12. They are promised a specific plot of land, not just any plot of land, and it's promised to all the descendants of Abraham. They all have unconditional ownership of this land. The Mosaic law was put in place to filter the faithful remnant who would enjoy the land those who would actually get to exercise their ownership. The Exodus generation broke this law almost immediately. They showed that they were not a faithful people, but two from that um, generation were faithful. So those two plus the children of the first generation who proved themselves faithful in Moab got to enter into the land and enjoy it as the first generation of Israel to enjoy the land. Multiple generations would enjoy it, but only one would receive the fulfillment of this covenant because this covenant promised everlasting um, duration of their uh, existence in this land. So the last generation of Israel that is faithful will receive this forever so that they will never again be put out of the land. The very fact that Israel has been dispersed from their land shows that this has not yet been fulfilled. They've been brought back into their land, and by bringing them back into their land, um, they will be purified to the fulfillment of this covenant. So this land covenant reconfirmed to this generation, the second generation of the Exodus, that the land covenant, the land portion of the covenant to Abraham had not been abrogated by the Mosaic law, that the Mosaic law did not replace this possession, this permanent ownership of the land, but it regulated their enjoyment of it. So not all generations would be faithful to the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law is what allows them to be in the land because they need to be responsible with the gift that God has given them. Covenant breaking would result in them being kicked out of the land, but God would always keep a remnant, and that remnant will have the opportunity to return to this land through faith. So the Lord regathered Israel from the ends of the earth twice, or regathers Israel from the ends of the earth twice. First, he brings them back to the land in unbelief, through violence, probably looking back at the Holocaust, to enter into God's refining wrath. Israel has only ever been regathered from all the ends of the earth once, and that was through violence uh, by means of the Holocaust. And they are currently in their land 
not in faith. But the second regathering is the regathering in faith through a refining wrath of the Lord so that when they enter this land, they will never again leave it. They will never again be kicked out from it. So the modern state of Israel has experienced part six or six point A, but not yet six point B. <laughs> uh, so they are right in the middle of their, uh, or they are right on the cusp of receiving the fulfillment of this land covenant. But it is a minimum of seven years until they do, because this refining process takes seven years. And that is the tribulation we're looking at in our revelation study. So I built this one back in, in uh, January, and it's finally time to show it to you guys because we've seen enough of these covenants to get the big picture. So we see, and I give you on the left, the dates that these covenants were made. And on the right, now the length doesn't indicate how long the covenant lasts. These are unconditional eternal covenants, but uh, it shows you where and when in scripture they are fulfilled. So in uh, 4,000 BC, we get, or around 4,000 BC, Bishop Usher has it as 4,004 BC, somewhere around October 25th. Um, so uh, Bishop Usher knows exactly when creation happened. Um, He's smart. He must be very smart. I, I don't have the patience to sit down and do that math, but uh, uh, most have it at around 4,000 BC. Some are 6,000 BC. I think Ryrie had it at 9,000 BC. Depends on whether or not you see gaps uh, in the uh, in the genealogies uh, of the Old Testament. I don't think there are gaps in the Old Testament genealogies. I stick with 4,000 BC-ish. Uh, so the Edenic covenant was around 4,000 BC. The Edemic covenant, I think, was probably between three and seven days after the Edenic covenant. Uh, so, and that cannot be dogmatic about that. And I'll tell you why I think it was a very very quick transition because one of the conditions of the Edenic covenant was that they multiply. And if nine months go by, if 12 months go by and they haven't multiplied yet, they haven't had any children, then the question has to be raised, are they being faithful to that covenant to reproduce or to that uh, command to reproduce? So I think it was at least under a year here. Um, I would guess probably very quickly. Um, some even see Eve making a beeline for the tree that God says, don't touch that tree. And she goes, okay, let me go check it out because that sounds interesting. Uh, so however many days, it's probably very close. So I've got these put on the same year uh, in 4,000 BC, might be 4,004 BC. Um, actually, I like 4,004 better, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> sorry. That's because the uh, the date of Christ's birth was probably about four years before 180. Um, so that would make it an even 4,000 years from creation to Christ, which I like, but that doesn't mean it's truth just because it's nice math. Um, four years before BC. Yeah. Actually, I think most have it at about three years before. <laughs> Gregorian calendar confusion. No, yeah, yeah. BCE We don't have to go to the BCE calendar. <laughs> I've got it all here as BC. Okay. Uh, all right. So then about uh, 1600 years later, we get the Noahic covenant. So uh, you can kind of picture that in your mind, looking at our more modern period from, uh, from Jesus Christ to what was happening around 1650. 
This is after the Reformation. So it would have been post-Luther, post-Calvin. So from Jesus Christ to Calvin, uh, look at it like that amount of time. That's like Adam from Noah. So at that point, the Noahic covenant was given to Noah. And then only 500 years later, less, 400 something years later, came Abraham with the Abrahamic covenant. So between those 400 years, people are spreading out over all the earth. Uh, after the dispersion at Babel, actually the dispersion at Babel happened about 100, 200 years after this. So uh, 100 years maybe uh, to the Abrahamic covenant after Babel. So people have been spreading a around a bit. Then another 400 years to the Mosaic covenant and then 40 years to the land covenant. We're now in 1450 BC. And then in 1040, the Davidic covenant is given to King David. And in 600 BC, the new, the new covenant is promised to Jeremiah. Now, in uh, the Edenic covenant, a king is promised. And we foresee that king first in Daniel 7.14, that that king will come uh, and take his throne. So Daniel 7.14, that is Daniel's vision of the Lord, uh, the Messiah, returning and being handed a kingdom by God. Uh, in Revelation 22, uh, we see that actually taking place, uh, where Daniel is not being prophesied that this will happen, but he is seeing in a vision that this is happening. Uh, Revelation is a very unique prophetic book in that way, that it doesn't say this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, but John sees this happen. Uh, he's transported into the future time. Uh, he is divorced from the limitations of time so that he can see God's prophetic time clock. Uh, the Edemic covenant promises a redeemer. Now we see in 1 John 3, 8, that part of that redemption has taken place, that the serpent has been judged on the cross. And then we see in Revelation 20, 10, that Satan is finally put away permanently that he is cast into uh, into the lake of fire and that redemption comes to all those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ or in the uh, promised seed uh, for salvation, depending on what dispensation, what content of faith was required. Uh, kind of the, the line of questioning to Nixon, what did you know and when did you know it? If it wasn't yet revealed, they are not responsible to believe it. But if it was revealed, they're responsible to believe it about God, about this coming seed, about this redeemer. Uh, the Noahic covenant is interesting. It can't really be fulfilled until we see that there is no future history anymore because it promised that God would never again destroy the earth by a flood. So until this earth passes away, the Noahic covenant can't come to an end. Uh, so when this earth passes away, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, because no place is found before the throne of God for this uh, earth and this heaven, at that point, the Noahic covenant is fulfilled because we see that God had, will have always been faithful to this covenant. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant is not fulfilled until Israel receives permanently her land, a permanent and eternal seed on the throne and uh, blessing that cannot be lost any further. So we see that finally fulfilled in Revelation 20, 21, and 22, because they received their land 
in uh, Revelation 20, although it's not indicated there, that's the time period where they receive it. Um, but their seed, uh, David's seed, uh, the, uh, the king that comes through Israel, we see his throne merge with God's throne in Revelation 21. So we see that that becomes an eternal throne. Uh, the Mosaic covenant does end, has ended already in Romans 8, 3, where it says that Jesus Christ was the end of the law. Uh, this ended at the cross. This was put in to regulate the blessing for Israel. When Jesus fulfilled the law, he became their requirement for receiving land, seed, and blessing. When they receive him, they receive land, seed, and blessing because he fulfilled the law. The land covenant, which we saw today, is fulfilled during the time period of Revelation 20. But in Revelation, the purpose for discussing this time is uh, to show the judgment that will come on the, uh, the, the beast, the false prophet, and the dragon, that this is separated by a thousand years. So we see this land promise taking place. We see it in uh, through all the prophets. We see it in Ezekiel, through Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Zechariah and Malachi talk about it. Hosea talks about it. Joel shows it. Uh, so this land covenant where Israel returns to her land, uh, this happens during the time period of Revelation 20. The seed promise, again, we, we discussed already a bit when we see the throne of God or merging with the throne of David. Um, that's Revelation 22, 3. And then blessing being received where, um, where Israel will receive a new heart. We see that in Revelation 20. And it continues all the way into eternity. Revelation 22 is just shorthand for eternity. Uh, so that is the covenant structure. We've got two left to go that we're going to look at, the Davidic covenant and the new covenant. And uh, new covenant is an interesting one because we right now today benefit from the new covenant although it has not yet been fulfilled um, so we receive the blessing portions of this um, we'll go back to romans 11 for that because uh, israel did reject their king but we were able to come into these blessings because they rejected the king we will benefit from these we are the wild olives grafted onto the tree but how much more blessing will come when the native branches are grafted back on and that is the fulfillment Wild olive branches can't fulfill this blessing, but they can receive the sap of this blessing. All right. So that is the end of our uh, study on the land covenant. Hope it wasn't too much of a fire hose, but uh, <laughs> it's a lot of passages that are kind of wide ranging. Uh, there isn't these nice, concise little, uh, like the Ten Commandments gives us the table of contents for the uh, for the law. So we can go to the 10 commandments and look at the 613. We don't have to really hunt all of them down to show those, but the uh, land covenant is probably the hardest one to, to show you right where it is, but it, it's right there in um, 29 and 30 from Deuteronomy. That's the content. That's the, the signing of the covenant. All right. So I'm going to end the, uh, the live stream and the share here. Question. Yeah. Okay, so I was in and out. So, oh. so the.